think we all understand that in sport, there's only a small percentage of athletes that win that ultimate gold or the championship or the world record, etc. I think there's so much more that you get out of the sport that you've learned about yourself as well. For me, sport was a great vehicle to prepare myself for life lessons in the future. You know, being able to bounce back in life in general, it's what it's all about. That's Michael Klim this week on the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? What is happening? How are you? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host of this podcast coming at you from my shipping container studio here in sunny Southern California. Pretty excited. Got a great conversation coming up in a couple few. Julie and I just got back from New York City the other night. I was there to do a speaking engagement for On Running. So I just wanted to thank everybody at On for having me. It was at WeWork Times Square, this really cool co-working space, and the turnout was great. So I just wanted to also thank everybody who came out to uh, hear me talk. It was really nice to meet so many cool, uh, like-minded individuals. We were also there to promote and do a bunch of publicity around the impending release of our new cookbook, The Plant Power Way Italia, which comes out on Tuesday of next week, the 24th. We're very excited about it. So if you have not pre-ordered it or picked it up, please do so. I think you will be delighted. We're super proud of it. Uh, Also, one little housekeeping item that I wanted to kind of put out there. I've been trying to determine the best format for this show. As you guys know, it is ad supported and many have groused about my long introductions. And so in the last episode, which was just Julie and I, in order to kind of shorten the introduction and cut right to the chase, I decided to play around a little bit and insert two of the ads into the middle of the conversation, which is something I've never done before. And which quite frankly, I'm not a big fan of, but I'm open, I'm open to experimenting with the format. So I decided to post a poll on both Twitter and Facebook asking you guys, should I put all the ads up front in the introduction, get it out of the way, sort of like how Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss does it, or should I cut to the chase, shorten the intro and break away, kind of like how James Altucher and many other big shows do it. Uh, The overwhelming response was to do all the ads up front, so I'm going to stick with that, at least for now. Uh, And also, I'm going to do my best to truncate the guest introductions, which I realize are likely overkill. I definitely got that feedback from you guys. That said, uh, I do want to create the best listening experience for you, so I am open to tweaks. So feel free to tweet me with any ideas that you have. Did I mention that I have Australian Olympic swimming legend Michael Klim on the podcast? No, I did not. So I am doing that now. Uh, Michael is one of Down Under's most famous and celebrated athletes, Uh, not just swimmers, but all athletes, because for those that are unaware, swimming in Australia is sort of like the NBA here. It's absolutely huge, which, uh, which I love. Uh, Awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia, which I gather is something like being knighted. Michael is a three-time Olympian with a slew of world records and world championships under his belt, uh, and very much a part of the star-studded group of swimmers that took Australia back to the top of swimming in the late 1990s and early 2000s. That was a group that included people like Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett, uh, who else? Kieran Perkins, Liesl Jones, Libby Trickett, Stephanie Rice, Susie O'Neill, and uh, many others I'm sure I'm forgetting right now. Michael's Olympic and world record setting achievements are are far too many to list here, especially in the interest of keeping this intro on the shorter side, which I'm probably failing at. 
but he's perhaps best known as one of the undisputed stars of the 2000 Sydney Olympics, where he won two gold, two silver, and was instrumental in Australia's absolutely thrilling four by 100 meter freestyle relay, unleashing a world record leadoff swim to win his first gold on the first night. Uh, an entrepreneur upon his retirement, Michael is now the founder and managing director of a skincare line called Milk, which is Klim spelled backwards, of course, which is very cheeky. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailored fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. 
To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. Michael Clem. I've been a big fan of Michael forever. I've closely followed his journey from the beginning. So it was great to finally connect with him and go deep. Uh, we cover his swimming career, of course. Uh, we cover the experience of what it's like to be such a lauded athlete in a land that has such a rich swimming tradition where swimmers aren't just noticed every four years like it is here in the United States, but where these people, Michael included, are just downright superstars. Uh, we get into his mental and physical success equation, why he thinks he was able to rise to the very top of elite Olympic performance, what he did to get there, how he approaches high pressure scenarios uh, with quite a few helpful takeaways. And also we talk about how he was able to transition from sport to business into becoming this successful entrepreneur, particularly when so many elite athletes struggle with how to make their way into the world uh, upon retirement. It was a great talk. Hope you guys enjoy it. So let's do it up. Well, cool. Let's just rock right into it, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, nice to finally meet you. I know. It's very nice to meet you. I've uh, followed you. (laughs) I've been following you for a very long time, you know, so it's- it's, Something uh, in common. (laughs) Yeah, a couple things, I think, you know. Um, And it's funny because this podcast has become like a- uh, I don't know, like it's become like the Australian podcast. I have so many Australians on the show. I just put up, do you know Paul DeGelder? Yeah, you yeah. You do, so yeah. he, he, I just put him up the other day. I'm like, now I'm staring at another super ripped, <laughs> bald Australian uh. dude, you know? And I'm like, I wanna be a, a an honorary Australian. What do they call it that you have? The OA? Yeah, OAM, OAM. OAM, so that's like, being, uh, that's like being knighted, right? Yeah, well, yeah, Paul's a... Uh... Paul's uh, story is it's amazing. It's crazy, he's, right? He's, uh, yeah, I bumped into him in Bondi. He was when I think, I'm not sure if he's still living there, but he's, you know, his attitude to it and, and towards the story is just phenomenal. Like, yeah, and, I mean, his ability to kind of transcend that experience and, yeah. and be this inspirational figure. Like, I, and I, I said this in the podcast. Like, I, I knew his story was crazy, but I didn't have a grip on like what a great storyteller he is and how inspirational yeah, he is absolutely. and the way that he tells the story. That your grave from the hospital when he describes. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, he lives here now. Does he? Yeah, right? he lives in Venice. So right. he's 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 having a go here. He does all the Shark Week stuff for Discovery Channel and making a name for himself yeah. out here. So, you know. Yeah, you've know. got a big following in Australia, <laughs> mate. Well, we, we love ultra, ultra sports. We love swimming. <laughs> you know, well, the swimming culture <laughs> is insane. I mean, I don't think Americans really appreciate or can understand the reverence with which, you know, the swimmer is perceived in Australian culture. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's definitely our number one Olympic sport. And um, it's, you know, in, in Europe, they probably send their kids to soccer training mm-hmm. or, you know, learn soccer and in Australia, it's learned to swim. It's a first sport pretty much. Right. As soon as, inf- you know, infant aquatics is like, you know, it's not compulsory in every school, but it, sh- it will be pretty soon, I think. So uh-huh. learn to swim with the first sport everyone learns. Yeah, right away. Like as soon as you can walk, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But you're you're originally from Poland, right? Yeah, so I've got a pretty interesting story. I, I was born in Poland, my parents, uh, my dad worked for the Polish consulate, so we traveled mm-hmm. a lot growing up. So I moved to India when I was 
when I was one and a half, wow. I spent, so I actually learned to swim in India for a country that's kind of probably more known for its cricket and, <laughs> yeah, and those no, sort of things. Not a big <laughs> swimming powerhouse. No, no. Yeah. So, but it's funny kind of how history repeats itself because I'm, I'm living in Bali most of my time mm -hmm. and I go to a little bit of a country club. My kids spend most of their life in a country club. Yeah. So very much the way I grew up. And, um, you know, dad used to drop us off on the way to work and pick us up eight hours later. And, you know, I, the only thing I could do was just play in the water and have right. fun. And that's how I sort of got this infinity, kind of like this affinity with the water that, that I just I can't describe. Right, so, right, right. yeah, that was early on. So you, you, you spend most of the time in Bali and then the rest of the time in Melbourne? Yeah, so mm -hmm. I sort of split my time between my business, which I've got a skincare company mm -hmm. now, and we sort of, uh, we've got a skin fitness range of products. And then we also, uh, and I've, yeah, my kids live in Bali, so I split my time between Bali cool. and do Melbourne. They, uh, do they go to the green school? They do. They do go they? go to the green school indeed. So funny, <laughs> every day I hear about the green school. Really? I have a very good friend here in uh, in Malibu and he splits his time between Bali and here and he just left again and both his kids go to the green school. Yeah, I've got a really good friend who's a meditation teacher named Charlie Knowles. Right. He's got a whole bunch of kids that go to school there. And yeah. so I'm always seeing photos and little videos of what goes on there. And then our mutual friend, David spent yeah. time there. Yeah. And, and so I'm very familiar with what goes on there. I mean, that place is unbelievable. Yeah, it's insane. And you know, John, John Hardy founded it, um, the jeweler and, um, it's, yeah, it's quite insane. You know, in terms of, for me, I've seen the development in my kids, the growth in terms of their confidence. And um, it's just it's just a different approach to education, which, mm -hmm. you know, they kind of, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a community. It's very cult-like sometimes, but it's- Right, yeah. <laughs> I heard like, uh, well, my friend Chris uh, said like, yeah, like you drop your kids off from school and then all the parents hang out. Like, yeah, they're, they're, all day. <laughs> yeah, you know, like nobody's working. Yeah, yeah. Like what is going on there? And none, there's no walls, like it's all outdoor yeah, education essentially. Yeah, the, it's, you know, it's basically self-sustainable. They go water turbines, solar. Mm -hmm. it's a, yeah, it's a really good sort of, from my kids, especially my son, where he's got a bit of a speech impediment and he, um, he, he was really shy, especially socially. And within three years, he's now narrating the school play in front of you know, wow. hundreds of kids. And he, you know, like he's got this air of confidence, but it's still, you know, I think it's just the school's empowered him to believe in himself and he's still got a beautiful personality. So, um, yeah, so it's definitely, um, it gets them kind of street ready in a sense. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. It's really cool. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk swimming. Okay. <laughs> um, so you grow, you grow up, you know, basically with wet hair, you know, as long as you <laughs> I can had remember. Hair back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, were you, were you, uh, were you like a talent from the get go? Did you know like early on, like, oh man, this is like my thing or were you just playing a whole bunch of sports? No, I was. I definitely played a lot of different sports, but for, for me, swimming was something that, because when I traveled, as I explained earlier, went from India back to Poland, Germany, Canada, and then eventually moved to Australia, and all these things were changing in my life and um, from languages, you know, school environments, uh -huh. and new, you know, circles of friends, et cetera. Um, the only thing that kind of remained constant for me was my swimming. It was kind of like you could, I could join any squad in any country yeah. and kind of fit in. Did you learn um, all the languages everywhere you live? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I had to learn English and, and German and um, I'm still learning English actually. But Polish <laughs> was your, is your yeah. native first language. Yeah, wow. so I you speak Polish speak at home. Oh, you do? Yeah. Wow. Uh -huh. so, um, so yeah, so I, for me, swimming was something that I was, I used to gravitate to because I was kind of good at it, and it kind of you know gave uh -huh. me gave me acceptance around in 
you know, in the circle of friends that I was in. But, um, but uh, yeah, my tennis is actually, my family is actually probably a tennis family. Uh-huh. Uh, my sister played professionally and so did my dad. Oh, wow. So I was the, I tried. I didn't quite have the, uh, uh-huh. the temperament for, for tennis <laughs> being a sprinter. I sort of, um, yeah, too much time to think on the tennis court. Right. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I definitely, um, you know, it was, it was something that I, I, yeah, I had a really good sort of strong idea that I wanted to pursue it for uh-huh. a very early age. And, and how does it work in Australia? Is it like a club program kind of thing or is it through the schools? Like I know once you kind of, you get noticed as a, an emerging talent, there's all these, you know, there's all this structure that comes into play, but at yeah. what point? Look, it's still very amateur. It still comes through you know, traditional club, uh, yeah. you know, club structure. And then there is state funding, state Int- institute of sport, and then, there's the, obviously the overarching sports commission who sort of facilitate through the Australian swimming programs, mm-hmm. but it's still very much, uh, um, you know, the learned, the swim schools feed the swimming clubs and, and you, then you can obviously join the, some of the elite squads that still right. exist, but it's still predominantly a club club setup. And uh, yeah, we're still pretty a small country and we've, we're actually in the middle of our Commonwealth Games trials at the moment. Oh, on is the that what's, that's going on right now? Yeah. Uh-huh. So... Um, but yeah, it's still, um, you know, for us, it's, it's still a pretty simple, simple process. Does Australian Institute of Sport still exist? I just remember when I was a kid, I would <laughs> yeah. be like, man, what goes on there? Like that's, <laughs> that, they look serious. <laughs> well, they, I spent eight years there. Oh, so did? when I was, uh-huh. um, I was 15, I was tapped on the shoulder by, uh, two, two guys. One was, um, Gennady Turetsky, who was the coach of Alex Popov. And the other one was Jim Fowley. He used to, he came from Etobicoke in, in Toronto. Oh, yeah. And um, so that those- was Paul Bergen's team yeah, before that, I Yeah, think. that's right. And then Mitch Ivey before that. Right. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was sort of at the age of 15 and they said, oh, we want you to move to Canberra and, and live there in the lead up to Sydney. And, you know, they already were identifying who was good, who could be good and could be a good fit for the relay. And um, and for me, you know, the you know the coach of the greatest sprinter of all time just mm. asked me to train with him. So, um, yeah, a year, year later, I packed up the bags and mum and dad drove me up the highway up to, uh, up to Canberra from Melbourne. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, so I moved out of home and made that sacrifice to solely pursue swimming and you the institute is you know people sort of um they don't they're not very complimentary about canberra it's a pretty it's a pretty boring place but <laughs> well, that's where paul's from <laughs> I, he was telling me a little bit about what it was like there i mean it's definitely different from what you imagine yeah you know, melbourne and sydney to be absolutely like. it's look it's it's a military it's a town and where it's now it's got a university a couple of good universities as well but for us it was ideal for what we were doing just you know train. just training with great mm-hmm. facilities still the facilities are far superior to any other complex and in, in Australia. So now it's more used for, there's no more resident program at the Institute of Sport. It's more sort of uh, for camps, et cetera. Right, Similar right. to Colorado Springs actually. Uh huh. Yeah. And does it work the same in terms of Olympic trials and qualifying for the team as it does in the States where you have a meet and you, you get first or second and you go and yeah, otherwise you're at home? Yeah, pretty much. And mm-hmm. you know, we're, traditionally we have our trials two or three months prior to the big meet. Um, you know, having, uh, having seen the success of the US team, this time we're actually having the, the trials from the Commonwealth Games only uh, five weeks out of the Commonwealth right. Games. So I think it makes sense. It's I think there's a lot of you know opportunity for error, and you know a lot of things can happen between you know between now and say two or three months time. So I think it eliminates the uh, 
there's always <laughs> there's always gray in a black and white scenario. Right. Well, it's a super tricky equation. I mean, for people that list, that are listening who aren't familiar with swimming, I mean, you basically bust your ass for nine months or however yeah. long, and then and then you taper down for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, maybe a month if you're a sprinter like you. I don't know yeah. what your you know particular that, protocol yeah. is, and you hang it all out to dry in that one meet. And if it's trials, that's usually as competitive, if not more competitive, more high pressure than the Olympics itself. Absolutely. You make the team and then you're looking at five weeks. Yeah. And that's a very difficult kind of thing to approach because you can't just coast for five weeks. You gotta no. kind of build back up, but yeah. you can't build back exactly. up too much. And yeah. some people hit it right and some people miss it altogether and have yeah. really lackluster Olympic performances. Yeah, exactly. Look, we've, we've tried it and I think it's, Look, I think swimming does. We only have that big meet once every four years, Olympic Olympic Games, mm -hmm. and you know the world champs are on every every second year. Uh, but it is, you know, we have two two big hitouts a year in Australia. Not like the US, where you've got the NC two A system and right. you can really race competitively and have really good sort of hitouts regularly. Whereas, um, so Australia's have tr struggled finding competitions, being so geographically so far removed from uh -huh. everything. Uh, but you know, it's. Uh, you know, we're getting there. I was very fortunate that my era was, you know, had the likes of Thorpe and Hackett and Perkins and and O'Neill and Samantha Riley and you know Lisa Jones and Libby Trickett. Then you know it, it almost they could they probably got away with not racing as much. But the you know the depth of the in in the world of swimming has changed. I yeah. think you know you've yeah, got the yeah. Eastern European countries that have come up a lot, and also the the Asian countries are swimming really well as well. So. Um, it's a different picture to when I was swimming. But you were a member, like a, you know, <laughs> a, a gold-plated member of the golden era of Australian swimming. I mean, that, that period of time, I mean, was the ascendancy of Australian swimming. I mean, you guys were a powerhouse. It was yeah. unbelievable yeah. from, you know, I don't know, 98 <laughs> to 2008 or something like yeah. that, 2006. Yeah. And that Sydney Olympics was really kind of a coming out party for Australian swimming. I mean, yeah. you've been a, uh, you know, a global power for a long time, but that was something else altogether. Right? Yeah. Like it, it was really like, it was quite something. Just yeah, to we were. That. You know, to get to get an Olympic Games on home soil for Australia, the one prior to that was in '56 in Melbourne, and mm. you know we, you know the Aussies have so much pride in their sport. It's, they're so fanatical, similar to to you guys, and um, it 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 was a, a magical two weeks in in Sydney. The weather was fantastic. The, there was no traffic. Everyone was happy and smiling. So I don't know the, Olymp <laughs> the Olympic, the Olympic kind of fever. <laughs> but the talent pool that you had was unbelievable. Yeah, you know? it, look, it was you know it's, it was Hackey's first Olympic gold. It was Ian he broke the world record in the four hundred and won the uh, silver in the two hundred, mm -hmm. but won the four by one and the four by two with me. And um, yeah, we had you know it was Kieran's last swim, but. Right. Uh, uh, you know, we had the likes of Susie O'Neill still, you know, winning gold in the 200 freestyle. And yeah, it was just an, an amazing team. And it sort of was led by these guys. We had a really good mix of up and coming, you know, the likes of Hackett and Thorpe, which I mentioned, but, you know, the Susie O'Neill and Kieran right, Perkins right, right. On, the, on the latter end of their careers and sort of myself and Jeff Hugel and a couple others slotted right there in the middle. And yeah, I was very fortunate to, as I said, to have, you know, the Olympics on home soil was just 
phenomenal. And, yeah. you know, we, <laughs> I was part of the, the race that, you know, I'm more known in Australia for playing an air guitar rather yeah, than... Yeah, I know. We're going to get into that. Oh, what? Are we? Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. <sorry. laughs> well, we had, I had uh, Anthony Irvin in here, so we talked about that a little bit. And I was like, I got to get Clem in here to hear it firsthand. But I think like that's, that is my, before I met you, you know, like I'm like, that's my visual image of you. Like I just remember, that's like imprinted, seared into my brain, like that moment. So, I mean, maybe walk us through that story for people that are new to the show don't yeah, know it. sure, sure. So look, <laughs> I mean, you guys, the Americans had never been beaten in the 4x1 freestyle relay in the uh -huh. Olympic history until that moment. So the inception was 1972, I think, of the event. So, um, yeah, it's, and, you know, through the NC2A program and, you know, you're just so strong in relays, you know, how to race them, how to put the team together, heats and finals. And we we had one guy, Brad Hawke, who was racing in the 50 freestyle, was from the Auburn system and uh, Auburn University. And he kind of, uh, he trying to help helped us. How do, how could we put together a team that could challenge his superpower in the 401 freestyle relay? And um, we had myself who was, you know, I was the highest ranked freestyler, third num number third mm -hmm. in the world. Ian Thorpe was a 400 freestyler, but had some potential. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Chris Feidler was our older statesman and Ashley Callas was a rookie. So we, we really didn't have a team that was, you know, like in, in the American team had pretty much, I think had three sinners in the top 10. Well, we had Gary so. Hall, who's the number one shit talker. So he's the one who instigated <laughs> this whole thing. And Tony Irvin yeah. uh, and Jason Lezak. And who was Ian, the fourth? It uh, was uh, Neil Walker. Neil Walker, right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And those are more prominent names at the time. Yeah, and absolutely. certainly Gary. Yeah. You know. And look, I'm, I'm still in, it's funny how, sport you realize how sport, sport had, for us it was everything you know like i was for us winning that relay it, it changed my life you know people still walk down the street and do this i'm me. sure they do yeah yeah and you we should we should point out that you broke the world record in the 100 free leading off that relay yeah it's to this point it's still my best ever swim yeah, 40, you know I, 40, 48 one yeah. yeah so it it just um look we basically this is the strategy we we you know we had we basically wanted to Try and get a lead somehow, and um, and then get the Americans to over race to each leg. And um, they're not you guys aren't used to coming second very often, so it was kind of it threw them off the game. A now little we bit. might be a little bit <laughs> yeah, but back yeah. then. No, yeah. back then no. So it's sort of um, and we just our psychology was really just to make sure that last twenty meters into the wall was really strong. So um, we just think we're focusing on back ending every single leg, and um, and it, if you look at the splits after the, sec the second, third, fourth swimmer, the, the, you guys are always turning first at the at the 50 meter end and we're turning first at the at the uh, and the 100 meter end. Mm -hmm. So it was, just, it was just a real tactical event that um, sort of fell our way, but it was, um, yeah, and look, to, to be honest and, and to give Gary credit, he's, he's an amazing ambassador for the sport. He was the first one to shake my hand uh -huh. after the event and um, I'm actually still in touch with him these days and, you know, that's, kind of, you know, 18 years ago, it's, it's yeah, yeah. long, it's history, but it's, uh, it sort of shaped the sport. He had a great rivalry with Popov that I used to watch in, in 96 when, you know. I mean, he, he was amazing because he brought entertainment to the Absolutely. sport by yeah. being this, you know, really bold, you know, kind of outspoken Muhammad yeah. Ali type character. Yeah. And, yeah. and just for people that are listening, what happened was 
he went on record. He told some <laughs> a reporter, oh, we're going to smash the Aussies like, you know, like guitars like, or something like yeah. that, right? <laughs> and so when you guys won, you're all playing air guitar. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was know. actually in, in Thorpey's idea. So, uh-huh. oh, um, yeah. So it was one of those moments. So we're, we're, it's still regarded for us in the Olympic history as, a, as one of the Yeah, it's one of the greatest races, races ever. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things you just said, like you guys really focused on, you know, the last part of those hundred meter legs. Mm. And one thing that you are unique in is you have this very interesting way that you finish your races. <laughs> uh, you're the only person I've ever seen who lunges into the wall with a couple underwater dolphin kicks yeah, on your yeah. way in. I've never seen anyone else do that. Like, yeah. where did that come from? And, and why do you think that that was like your advantage? Yeah, look, I, I trained a lot with um, obviously Gennady Turetsky being my coach. And initially I started swimming, trying to emulate Alex. And I wanted to have this beautiful high elbow recovery. And um, But I very soon found out that it was, um, I wasn't six foot eight. I didn't have his physique. And um, I started, I, as a drill, we started swimming. We used to have dolphin kick freestyle with your head up. It was kind of a water polo drill just to sort of emphasize this good dynamic recovery. And um, and then I was, uh, and then we have another drill, just a windmill drill with straight arm freestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just thought of combining the both of them as a drill only, um, dolphin kick with straight arms just to really emphasize each stroke and throwing a hand forward, etc. Um, and I started just, my first time I did it, I just felt like I was floating from stroke to stroke. Each kick kind of gave me extra inertia from stroke to stroke. And it, um, and yeah, Gennady got me at like 24 points something for a 53 and I was like, this could this, this could actually thing, work, right. and you know, and my legs were my my weakness, and and probably psychologically, I always used to think, oh, I hope my legs don't go, I hope mm-hmm. my legs don't go, and and you know, the less <laughs> when I wasn't psychologically strong in my races, I normally probably used to kick earlier than I needed mm-hmm. to, but yeah, so it became a good way for me to keep momentum into the wall. Mm-hmm. And why do you think no one else started doing this? <laughs> well, I think it's you know that transition from freestyle kick to dolphin kick. You have to it's really awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, I know that I th- know that Michael Phelps tried it a couple of times uh-huh. at the last Olympic trials, and um, but I think yeah, when when he got to Rio, he went back to his original stroke. So right. um, yeah, look, it's you know I, I I had to be innovative. You know, I don't. I'm no not much taller than the average, not much stronger than the average, and so you're I pretty had, um, fucking strong, dude. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm fatter now. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean you're a big boy. You know, let's get that straight. But I think you, I think you you innovated in another way, which is that you you did have this like straight arm recovery in your yeah. butterfly as well. And yeah. now when you look at swimming now, everybody's doing that. Yeah. Like the swimmers look weird. Like it doesn't <laughs> look like I'm like, what are they doing? That doesn't look anything yeah. like yeah. the way that we used to swim and you know, I'm older than you, but I was at a, uh, I went and did a swim practice with Connor Dwyer down at USC with John yeah, yeah, yeah. and got to swim with all these guys. And like, they're all doing, they're all doing that, yeah, you know? And they're yeah. like, put your head down. I was always taught to put my head up, you know, like yeah. waterline here. And they're like, like the technique aspect, they figured out so many things. Yeah, and, and I think your straight arm recovery was un- very unusual at the time. Yeah, no one yeah. was really doing that. Yeah, and look, I, we were, and that's actually touching back on the Institute of Sport. You know, it was, Australia swimming had to be resourceful because we didn't have hundreds of swimmers coming through. And we were, we used to fall back a lot on, phys- on all, 
you know, physiology and, and biomechanics and, you know, and nutrition. So mm. we, we kind of had to use all everything that was available to us to get the most out of our, our team. So, um, yeah, and, you know, I tested I tested the stroke a number of times. And, and, yeah, for me, it definitely gave me, I wouldn't say an advantage, but it just sort of kept me, when especially when the suits came in and mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a stronger sort of more aligned core, I could sort of keep my momentum into the wall. But, yeah, as you said, Pretty much all the sprinters are doing it now. So. Yeah, it's crazy to yeah. see, right? <laughs> so, what, like 21 world records? How many world records? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah 8,000 <laughs> Olympic medals. And then you had that crazy world championships where you won, like, I don't know, everything pretty much, right? Yeah, well, I can't seven, keep track of all seven, the results. Seven like, medals, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, at the time after Spitz was the first time anyone, anyone had won seven. So uh-huh. then obviously... Um, you know, Michael came along after that. Right, of course, yeah, and rewrote everything. But yeah. is there is there a particular performance that stands out as your favorite or does it all bleed together as one big experience? No, I think for me that week in Perth was, uh, as an individual performance, was, a, was probably not my most defying because it's it sort of always- 98, 98, yeah, 98. Yeah, yeah, I had broken the world record in 100 fly in October and the world championships were in, in January. And I wasn't, yeah, I was in great shape physically. And also I was still pretty, pretty fresh. I hadn't been, you know, I'd, I'd spent only a few years with, with Alex and, um, and I was really sort of targeting the, the 200 free and I managed to win that on the first night, but, um, and I started getting really tight towards the end of the meet and, you know, I qualified only fourth for the hundred fly final. And it's the first time that I, in that week, I thought that, Shit, I'm not going to, I've got a couple more swims to go. I'm not going to even finish this meet. So, um, but yeah, I stood up and, 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 and won that in a pretty close to world record time as well. So that was a week that kind of all my, you know, with the, the training with Gennady and the miles, we used to swim up to 100 mm-hmm. k's a week, which is about 60 miles a week um, at times. And it all started really paying off, just, you know, falling back into that. My, yeah, I, I had the mentality of every time the gun went, I would, I didn't really pace myself from heats to finals, whatever. <laughs> it just, so just my, falls out just no matter falls what. falls out pretty much. Yeah. So, um, and it all just started coming coming into into uh, into play. So, what did you learn from Gennardi? Like, what what is the what made him a great coach? I think he was a really interesting coach because he had um, he was able to adjust not only his approach in terms of the sessions, what we were doing. Um, for every swimmer, because we are we're all different physically, right. you know, and we all recover differently, and you know we we all need different stimulation, and we have. The, um, so he was able to to get the most out of all the swimmers, and even creating five different workouts for five different swimmers on mm-hmm. on the board mm-hmm. in, in one session. Um, but then also being able to mentally get, uh, he would treat myself different to Alex, of course, and then. Matt Dunn, who was also my my training partner, he'd have a completely slightly different approach. So that communication with that, right. with the athlete was probably his key. You know, like I knew that, you know, he'd probably leave me alone for most of my warm ups and just appear out of out of the blue just for the for the right time when he needed to to see me. And he had a great eye. He could probably watch me for. 10 seconds, I dive into the warm-up, you could tell you how I right. felt. Right, right, right. And so, and I think that having that real great intuition, so he was well-educated, but had a great eye for the sport. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but 
The mind doesn't really want to do it. You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years. And I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, 
and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. It sounds very similar to to uh, where Bob Bowman comes mm. from. I, like I, I was telling you earlier, um, yep. I was listening to his podcast with Michael Gervais. He's interviewing Bob Bowman, Michael Phelps' coach, who's also coached a number of other Olympians. And he yep. was talking about the importance of the coach-athlete uh, relationship and how it's a partnership and how yep. you really have to individuate you know, yeah. amongst these different people and how he could tell you know, as soon as one of his athletes walked on the deck, he'd yeah. just look in their eye and he'd know like what kind of workout they were gonna have because they're, it was yeah. such an intimate, you know, close knit thing yeah. and trying to crack like, okay, like what, you know, how how is, you know, what makes Michael tick? Like what's gonna motivate him? Yeah, you know, exactly. do you come at him hard, do you come at him soft? Like that's gonna be different for yeah, every athlete. And I think it's, you know, look, when you're when you're dealing with the elite of the elite and you got like 10 people you're coaching, it's one thing. You're a club coach, you got 50 kids, you know, five in a lane or something like yeah. that. It's a different thing altogether. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the more that you can understand, you know, what the, the sort of psychological makeup of yeah. that individual. And then, so people sort of wonder how we, you know, the swimmers still manage to break world records. And it's, you know, we've even, the suits have gone back to the almost right. the traditional. So it's, it is, it's the training methods. It's being able to, I think that the coach swimmer relationship now is so different to say the fifties and the sixties mm -hmm. where it was kind of, everyone did the same thing. Right. It was almost a survivor, a survivor Whoever of can, the fittest. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's the way it was <laughs> when I was swimming. Yeah, so now it's, you can really, you know, I think Brett Hawke, who's obviously mm -hmm. swam for Australia now, mm -hmm. coaches at Auburn, you know, he's, he's, been able to to pioneer that a bit further as well, and you know everyone's just the attention to detail, you know, from everything from you know you know nutrition to strength training to yeah technique etc. Right. So you were competing in the era of the technical suit, and there yeah. was that thing like, well, these these records are never going to get broken. Like, yeah, it's just, they're yeah. just going to stay forever, right? Yeah. And then sure enough, they've all. Are there, are there any? Records that still stand from that era? I think there might be a couple. I think uh, Biederman's 200 freestyle still mm. exists, but yeah, there aren't um, there aren't too many, which is which is amazing. To, oh, which is good yeah. to see. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, you know, but it, it just it, it begs the question of like, what is the outer limits yeah, of exactly. human capability? Because when I look at swimming now, like I, I'm like 
what are they like? I can't even relate to these times. Like <laughs> yeah. I didn't think that that was possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's it progresses so quickly, much more quickly than track and field. You yeah, know, it started to slow down a little bit, but it's amazing the frequency yeah. with which world records in swimming get broken. Yeah. Um, what do you when you look at that? Like, what do you attribute that to? I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, mm, but mm. look, I, I think the. Um, I mean, we spoke about, you know, the specific sort of training approach. And I think it's also swimmers don't tend to over over swim as much as what mm-hmm. we used to. I think it's become it's become more quality rather than quantity. And yeah. um and you know, even even I know some of the open water swimmers that swim, you know, ten K and twenty five K, they're only really training, you know, fifty to seventy kilometers a week. But it's right. quite intensive. It's um, so it's, I think it's, yeah, I think the, the quality of the training and, um, just p- periodization. So it's really well planned. Yeah. I think yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just more, I, th- I think, yeah, I think we've just become a lot more clever or they have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I, you know, in the eighties, it was just get in. I mean, we would, we'd be putting in 20,000 meter days with regular, like yeah. all the time, you yeah. know, I'm just, I just walked around like a zombie, like periodization, like, what is that? You know, like there was no conscious awareness of any yeah. of that kind of exactly. stuff at that exactly. time. And it, it, the, the most common thing I'm sure you probably re- remember, like most people would miss their taper. They would just right. never come up. And your hose, you know? like your whole year <laughs> yeah. was about that, you know? So, you know, like you were so tired three weeks out of tri- out of trials of your main meet, but you just, you probably need another three right, weeks. Right, <laughs> I know. I don't think there was an appreciation for recovery. And like, if you beat yourself down that hard, like just how long it's gonna take for your body to, yeah. to bounce back. And I, yeah. I think I was chronically overtrained like my entire career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's funny, I don't know, it became, I don't know who led that, but I know that you know. I know that the Russians were training a lot. I know the mm. you know the Aussies were pretty well known for overtraining yeah. as well. I think, and I think it just you know the word spread around the swimming pools that you have to do More this much. Better. But yeah, which yeah, there cool. was that era in the eighties. There were, I mean, the coaches in the U.S. that were really hitting that hard. You know, Mark Schubert was part mm. of that at Mission Viejo. At yeah, Dick, yeah. Dick Schulberg, Paul Bergen. You yeah, know, yeah. Paul Bergen was like notorious for just like <laughs> you know you'd hear stories about these workouts that these guys were yeah, doing yeah. and you're like, well, I got to do that, you yeah, know? Yeah. And and there are only a few people that could weather that and survive yeah. it and excel at that. Yeah, exactly. But now with periodization and rest and being very specific about what you're doing and why you're doing it, it's like, you don't just jump in and go all out every yeah. set. Oh, you know? absolutely, mm. yeah. What so. about the strength training regimen? Look, I think there is, I think the jury's still out on that. I, I think there's anyone really yet to nail that in terms of what is, what really, what really actually transfers into the pool? It's such mm-hmm. a you know, the the mass of water that we pull through the water and the hand being accelerated through the movement rather than, you know, doing a doing a seated row is not quite doesn't you doesn't know mimic yeah. yeah. So it's I think there is there's certainly a, a lot of power movements that have you know I started doing a little bit of power lifting which was great for my start and great for starts and turns. But in terms of overall sort of um, you know, weight training, it's still, you know, and I think it's some a, of the conditioning, it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, I think the core, definitely core, sort of core, core stuff is really important. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, they're still trying to probably work it out. I, I've used to experiment a lot. That's the most things I used to experiment with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's still a lot that can be learned there. I mean, I remember at Stanford, like Jeff Kostoff, who held the high school national record in the 500 free for like 30 years and, yeah. you know, one institute, went to the Olympics, like incredible distance swimmer. 
he could do, we used to like make fun of him because he could only do like one push up. Like he literally <laughs> could barely do a push up. You know, he's like one of the greatest swimmers ever, you know, of that era. And yeah, it's just, yeah. and you're like, oh, well, I can't, you know, obviously, with if, if you're swimming the 50 free, the 100 free, it's a different equation. But yeah, yeah. it's like, why can't he do that? But he can do this. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. And it's, you know, then. There's so many variables in, in swimming, obviously, you know, but also, you know, we people that can't swim <laughs> appreciate that, you know, how important feeling for the water is and mm. uh, and working with this medium that is that we have to yeah. actually work with rather than, you know, push through it or work against it. So, um, yeah, but, you know, having, you know, seeing a Caleb Dressel, for example, you know, he's the physique is slightly, you know, now that the suits don't exist, you know, I think the guys is a little bit leaner. They're still super powerful, but they're not as not as bulky as what they mm -hmm. were probably ten years. Oh, there's a lot of yeah. tall guys though. Yeah, like, it exactly. seems like the guys are are bigger in general. Maybe yeah. not as bulkier, but yeah. I mean, I remember watching the fifty free final Rio you know, cheering for for Tony. Yeah. And I was like, he looked tiny yeah. compared to all those other guys. And he's a tall guy, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I was like, man, the yeah. sport has come a long way. Yeah, it's, you know, and it is, it does sort of vary. I remember, in, you know, just before my era, you know, Gustavo Borges, Alex Popov, mm -hmm. Gary Hall, you know, Gary Hall is the shortest at 6'6". Six, six, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's was. crazy, man. <laughs> well, what's interesting about your career is it's easy to go, oh, 21 world records, like all these Olympic medals, you know, incredibly storied swimming career. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't all roses, man. No, like you had a you had a lot of misses, <laughs> yeah. you know, along the way and like a lot of obstacles and hurdles that yeah. you struggled to overcome. I mean, despite like these relay golds, you still struggled to like, you know, medal in the individual event. I mean, you yeah. set the world record yeah. four by 100 free relay, but like you didn't yeah. make finals in the individual event. Like yeah. how did you like mentally, you know, approach trying to, you know, deal with that kind of thing? And why do you think you struggled in the individual events when the relays like, you know, went so well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was definitely, um, to this day, all my all my relay splits are definitely my, you know, my, my, my best splits. and. Um, I think psychologically, I, I was sort of, I you know, I definitely put pressure on myself to perform in relays. But I don't know if it almost like I felt like having the the camaraderie of the team. It almost um, deflected some of that. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I think in you know, I was one as I said, I had a very sort of simple approach to my swimming. I used to pretty much have one strategy and. Um, and it used to tense up a little bit and, you know, I never progressed too much from heats to finals and, um, you know, and yeah, I think so, you know, as soon as you tense up a little bit in sprint, it's, you know, you, you, it costs you. So, um, you know, I was able to win a few individual sort of big meets, but the one, you know, obviously even leading, you know, the hundred fly with about 10 meters to go and, and mm -hmm. being touched mm -hmm. out for, for silver. Right, right. And then same with a hundred free in Sydney. It's, it just sort of, um, yeah, it was sort of, I could see that there was, you know, there was some bad muscle memory that was coming in, creeping in in some of those races. So I think 98 was a success because I hadn't created those, some of those bad sort of patterns. Uh -huh. um, and how much yeah. does, you know, the external pressure play in? I mean, it had to be so heightened in Sydney. Yeah, it was definitely heightened, and and because the hundred fly was towards the end of the program was day six, and I hadn't won an individual, and I was sort of you know, uh, and I had so I'm a pretty bad heat, and uh, so I, you know the pressure was even greater. I, yeah, I swam in 
incredible sort of 85 to 90 meters but uh <laughs> but unfortunately they don't hand out the medals then so um yeah but look to be honest you know i've had some amazing races where i have handled the pressure so it did it, it right. um it was yeah it, because of my you know being able to stimulate myself so quickly behind the blocks and sometimes i would overstimulate and 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 go over the uh, go over the edge sort of but uh yeah so if, if i look at it you know um my downfall sometimes having that ability progress in terms of time from heat to finals. What is your like sort of mindset approach to to you know gearing up for a race? Like do you have a ritual or how do you like do you do visualization? Like what was your practice? Look, I was very I used to try and warm up as close as possible to the event. So pretty much I would get out of the uh, and um there was I was very I was very routine driven. So pretty much um, from the moment I walked through the door, I, I had the set routine. It was very dynamic and active warm up. So um, dry land and getting in the pool and pretty much it was pretty, it was pretty intense. Uh, it was, wasn't very long, but I would normally, you know, swim a lot at pace and, um, and pretty much from that point go and suit up and um, minimize any time where I could sort of, you know, get distracted right. or, uh, but um, yeah, so for me, the approach was really just to not to overthink. That's why I tried to. If I had a if I had a spare hour and a half, I would probably swim that race over mm-hmm. about a hundred times in my head. Where um, I try to have the routine just kept me moving through and and getting to the blocks without too without overthinking it and um, you know playing the race in my head. And well, are that's me the downfall. Right, I got you. Are you motivated? Are you somebody who's motivated internally or externally? Like, are you thinking about how to have your best performance, or are you thinking about how to beat the other guy? Look, I think most of the time is how to get my best performance. It's almost how to put it. Uh, I knew how to get it, how to put that performance together. Could I, mm-hmm. because I've done it so many times. It's almost just hitting a certain number of cues that I had in my race. So, you know, my my breakout and my underwater kick was obviously one of my strong points. My breath control in that first 30 meters, um, approaching the wall correctly. Then, you know, so I had a, a, a number of cues that I try to hit and it's, I used to focus on those. And um, when I was distracted and when I wasn't hitting those, then I'd start thinking about the other guy looking right. over my shoulder. And that's that's times where either I was, you know, swam over the top of or mm-hmm. whatever. So I think it's like like with anything, the clearer my head was before the race is the better the outcome mm-hmm. was. So Yeah, it's interesting in swimming because it's, it's you and the clock and you're in your lane and you have a choice whether to look over to the next guy and see what he's doing or not. Yeah. And ultimately it just comes down to you putting in your best effort. And yet at the same time, it is a competition. Like yeah. some people feed off of that. They want to, you know, and, and when you were swimming butterfly, like you're breathing to the side, yeah, right? You're exactly. doing like a Mel Stewart thing yeah, where you're yeah, like checking right. the other guy out. I so I love Mel Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he was the first guy to do that. Uh, so, I mean, was that a conscious thing? Like, I want to be watching what the other guys are doing, or oh, no, definitely not. There's more when, an efficiency, yeah, thing. yeah, an efficiency, you know, trying to keep it was and then Pankratov did it after Mel Stewart, and then you know, obviously, I um, I, you know, adopted it as well. It's more just keeping the body nice and flat. Mm. Um, you know, Michael Phelps and Ian Crocker, they're kind of Ian was a bit higher, but Michael just you know, keeps that really low body position, you know, with a flat breath. and. Um, I was able to do that with turning my head slightly. It became right. became a little, you know, became habitual after a while. Right. 
So to, so to, around 2001, you start having these injuries, right? Mm, and it mm. kind of sets you back. So you're like, I couldn't figure out, like, did you, you still started, you were swimming, you swam through 2007, yeah, but you, were yeah. just, you kind of struggled, right? Yeah, like absolutely. Problems yeah, and things like absolutely. that. It's, it's funny that we're sitting here right now because that, that injury that actually ultimately, you know, cost, you know, my career and I cost my career, but I retired because of it. Well, mm-hmm. I broke my ankle when just before the Fukuoka World Championships, so we were playing some basketball to warm up before before swim Summer practice. Summer should never play basketball. I know, I know, <laughs> no. I know. and uh, you know that that sort of followed. Um, you know that led up to have causing some issues with my lower back, and I had back operation at the age of twenty five um, the following year, and then you know that led to you know being off balanced and that created some more pressure on my shoulder and then you know three shoulder operations later um i qualified for athens in in, in the relay squads yeah. and swam all mm-hmm. those but you know i never had that sort of individual success that i had prior to 2000 or 2001 right so, right, right yeah that was uh yeah it was uh, it was probably you know and Mentally, that was a really tough time. It because, had to be. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> you were. You, I mean, it was. How old were you at that? Like two thousand six, two thousand five. Yeah, two thousand and six. I was twenty eight. You yeah. know, so yeah, you're still so, in the yeah. game. Like yeah. you could still be, you know, yeah. crushing it at a high yeah. level. So I would imagine that was frustrating. So you retire, but then you 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 then you try to make this comeback for London, also, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. why why would you do why what inspired that? Look for me. Um, Fitness and, and exercise and swimming is still a big passion of mine. I still love mm. to do it, and um, I swim more in the open water these days. But um, you know, I always feel better after it. And I, I was started. I actually did a few crazy things. I did a couple of adventure races down in Tasmania, which is you know the, probably the coldest, yeah. rugged place in Australia. It was uh, week long sort of adventure racing and. Um, and I did a, a bunch of runs and swims and got on the bike even. I was a lot skinnier then. <laughs> but, uh, and I was still in reasonable shape. And, you know, I, was, I started having a family. I had two kids at the time, started my own business. And I thought, look, it's, it was a couple of things. One, I wanted to prove to myself that I could still, I was still in good shape. I wanted to see how fast I could swim with all these different new variables in my life. Um, but then I also wanted to to kind of show my kids, you know, set an example of, right. Of being able to achieve a pretty high standard of in my sport, and um, in it, you know, it was a bit of a dare initially, and it kind of <laughs> turned to this yeah. eighteen-month campaign. And uh-huh. you know, it, ironically, I, I end up swimming the same time as I did at the trials, at what I did on my last meet when I retired. Oh, wow. So I managed, uh-huh. you know, seven years later, maintain it, uh, maintain it, or five years later, get back to similar level. So um, unfortunately, we had the birth of. Uh, you know, James James Magnuson came came through, and um, Cameron McAvoy, and those guys started going. You know, in the, in the low forty sevens, right. which you know, I was uh, I was nowhere near that big that, yeah. that pace. But that takes balls to give it a go like that, man. <laughs> I applaud that. Yeah, well, my, my yeah, we were expecting a third baby at the time. It's probably easier to be in the swimming pool than to. <laughs> Change nappies and have to manage all that. Training is very simple. You have this monk like existence where everything is like organized for you, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, you know, that's, and that was the thing that I realized, you know, I I had started a whole new business, you know, had this growing family, all these variables, still swimming. And, um, you know, people say, how did you manage to to swim so much? And Mm -hmm. how did you stay focused? I'm like, I wish I'd, all I had to do now was just yeah, just life, would be, life would be so easy. <laughs> We're brought to you today by Recovery.com. 
I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media, this beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. One of the things I think is really interesting about your story and, and, and perhaps unique is, you know, that between you and Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett, I mean, you guys, I mean, this, you guys were super, super stars in the wake of Sydney. Like, you know, American audiences, you know, I don't think can really fathom, like I said earlier, like the extent to which you became, you were just thrust into the media in like yeah, a massive yeah. way. And that's a very difficult thing to figure your way through, yeah, you know? And, yeah. and you seem to be somebody who, who figured that out? Like, mm. and I think it 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 seems as somebody who doesn't know these individuals and just is kind of looking at it as an outsider looking in from ten thousand feet, 
you know, that's something that that I think really, you know, probably took its toll on on Grant and on mm. Ian. Like mm. they've had their sort of very public, you know, yeah. kind of struggles with trying to figure out, you know, who they want to be. And you know, you go from this place where, like you said, everything's taken care of yeah. for you. You yeah. know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like a, a free for all and a free fall. Like, okay, what do I do with this now? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely been a very. Um, it's not just swimming. I think in, in and it happens here in the states. I think we're, we're, our identity as athletes is so strong, and you know people reinforce that in every opportunity they mm-hmm. have. And and then probably for for guys like Ian and and, and Grant, and you know they reached their success. You know, Ian won the four hundred freestyle world championships when he was fifteen. Mm-hmm. Like my oldest yeah. daughter's twelve. Like <laughs> I can't imagine her going to being a world champion. A world yeah, champion in a couple of years. So you know, and he became you know like Ian. Obviously, there was so many it's eyes like Michael and expectations Jordan in yeah. Australia. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and and I think yeah, and then Ian definitely struggled with that. Uh, there was a lot of pressure on him and. Um, the expect the level of expectation. So I think it's just realizing that identity, it's that swimming identity, even though it will live on forever, it's only temporary and having um, sometimes a fear of that transition into life after sport is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can be can be daunting and um, or even finding your, your, your place in life and, and what, what do you actually, because you're so good at swimming, what's gonna replace that void and yeah, what's gonna and, give and you that stimulus. And who's gonna help you yeah. figure that out? I mean, yeah. you know, when everything is being taken care of for you, you know, it's like, well, well, what do I do now? Like your whole life is premised on, okay, I'm gonna be on this podium at the Olympics in Sydney, but yeah. there's no thought that goes into what happens the day after that, yeah. you know? It's sort of um, a guy. I've I've been fortunate enough to work with a, a group called the the Chosen Experience, and uh, we sort of talk about purpose and intention, and and you know looking after all these different areas of wellness, if it's spiritual and emotional and um, environmental, or social. So we sort of think. I think when you you know you when you're actually in that swimming bubble and the sport bubble, you, you're kind of taken care of, and when you come out of it. There's a lot of areas of that wellness that fall off, mm-hmm. um, especially social. Socially, you know, your swimming fraternity is your is your family that no longer exists. You know, you've you know spiritually, swimming is very meditative. I'm sure you probably mm-hmm. agree. For me, it's the most meditative exercise that I can do. Um, you know, yeah. So from you know, from a fitness point of view, and you know, we're talking about nutrition, everything was gone all in place. So you have to start. So until you find that <laughs> those yeah. sort of dimensions, how you're going to be able to fill them, and and it takes takes time, and um, some people do it better than others. Yeah, I think that, and I've mentioned this in the past that that you know, sports organizations, whether it's swimming or the NFL or the NBA or uh, the NC2A and whatever specific discipline you know within that needs to have organizations or like governing bodies that are charged with helping athletes make mm. the transition into civilian life. I mean, it's, yeah. the, it's the same with like a, a soldier coming back from a deployment. Like yeah. there's a sense of confusion, you mm. know, it's like, well, this was my career. Now like that, snap your fingers, it's done. Yeah. And you're just a normal person. And that can be very destabilizing for a yeah. lot of people. And I think the higher you've, you you know, the, the higher your achievement, the more, the more kind of challenging that transition can be. I mean, obviously you have opportunities and cool stuff comes your way, 
but trying to figure out like, well, who am I? Like, mm. am I, I'm not the swimmer anymore. Yeah, so exactly. wait, who, who, yeah. you know, like I What's yeah. the new passion? Where yeah. do I put this energy that yeah. I had for this drive? You know, how do you suddenly replace, replace this drive that you had? And you know, you, do, you see most people, it's swimming on, you know, like there aren't too many swimmers mm-hmm. that actually never, you know, don't don't swim on because it is such plays such a big role, you know, probably more symbolically than anything. But it is, um, yeah, it is quite tricky, and I think it's better through the NC2A system because of the education that that provides them with, you know, the athletes. But in Australia, I think we've struggled with, you know. Um, Certainly, you know the athletes aren't supported financially from from the sports, mm-hmm. so they they need to find careers, and then that becomes a it, you know it becomes quite daunting on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is Grant doing? Are you in touch with him? Yeah, he, he spent a fair bit of time with Michael Phelps. Yeah, I knew that recently, uh-huh. and he's been uh, he's back. He's living in Melbourne. He's working in in, in corporate finance again. So um, again, for him, the physical exercises plays a big role. So now, even though. He came back. He missed London as well, but um, he's still back exercising, and you know he's got a good routine. And so, yeah, I think he's back on track. Uh huh. So you knew that you did. You always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> like when you were swimming, were you hatching your plan for how you were going to start no, a business? No, or certainly like, yeah. not. Like I, you know, I had a, obviously I had a good sort of example with my dad being in. He was export and import, and he mm-hmm. sort of did a lot of trades and things like that. So. I sort of had, I watched him do do his thing, but um, I didn't have a tertiary education. Most of the, you know, most of the guys, uh, uh, you know, went to uni or whatever. I sort of fell out after the, my first year. So, wow. um, but I, you know, I I had to realize I, well, I've been exposed to branding and marketing. I've been a product for many companies in the past. So I had a little bit of insight into what it takes to promote and, 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 and uh, and sell something. So, um, yeah, the the opportunity came about when um, there's two companies within a couple of months that approached me to to endorse the skincare products. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, there must be something in that. I'll just uh, so I did a bit more research, and the, the skincare market in Australia was definitely growing, especially for men. Um, and yeah, so I sort of. Uh, you know, I did a A4 business plan on <laughs> one bit of yeah. paper and, and spoke to a few different people and then, uh, pardon the pun, but took the plunge into uh, into becoming a, I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur, but I guess, yeah. I think you in, are. In skin, yeah, skincare. why not? Why yeah. wouldn't you call yourself that? <laughs> yeah, so look, it was a, you know, it was a it was incidental sort of the way I, I fell into it, mm-hmm. you know. Being a swimmer, you know you have to wash you wash yourself from the from the chlorine, and you protect yourself from the uh-huh. uh, from the, all the the harmful UVA and UVB rays. So um, I sort of had a little bit of insight from my history, and um, I had to apply that into into life after sport. Yeah, I mean, we just walked around with super dry skin and, yeah. green, and green hair. Exactly, you know, and then, then like no, mid afternoon, like, that product that for chlorine that. would start yeah, lick your hand. <laughs> yeah, the whole room smells like chlorine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then, so you start this company, Milk. Yeah, which I. I like I don't know why, but like I didn't even think about it until like yesterday. I was like, oh, that's Klim backwards. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But that's so obvious, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a great name for for yeah. a line. It's cool. Yeah. So we, you know, like we've initially we just had skincare products for men, and um, as you said, you know, we guys in gen, generally in Australia and the US are still 
you know, they still need a bit of prodding when uh -huh. it comes to, uh, you know, self-maintenance yeah. and looking after their skin. So um, I wanted to create products that were easy to use, multifunctional, affordable, but guys were still cool. Like they still were pretty, uh, pr would be proud about having them on the base and in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So um, I created a really simple sort of range, but um, it wasn't smooth sailing, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I made a few, a few costly errors and you know, uh, and you know, obviously, I think that was probably it was more. Ch I think business, the business world has been much more challenging, challenging than swimming. You why? Know? Why? There is a lot of things that are out of when in you know, like even when we're talking about. Um, you can control everything. Control in your pretty much everything, except and the guy in the other lane. Exactly, but, and yeah. even even then, you're trying. <laughs> you think you can, but um, but you know, in business, you're dealing with so many different variables, from you know, retailers to manufacturers to partners, stakeholders, etc. Whatever it might be, it's so vast, and um, and and then people are just you're actually liaising with. And dealing with people on a daily basis, mm -hmm. and it it becomes that becomes a skill. You know how you manage those situations. What did you learn from your swimming experience that does translate into being successful in business? Yeah, I'd, I'd say there's probably like four or five key sort of learnings that I I take from it. The first probably that sense of sense of team. So I, I you know I, our business is very much a, a horizontal business. We don't have not very hierarchical at all. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, making sure that culture within your business is, is right. And it doesn't have to be a business. It could be any, it could be a, a club or organization. So I think it's, you know, people that enjoy coming to work and or having things in common or having even maybe things in common, but common values. So um, so that was, for me, it was really important. I think that that was what made the Aussie swim team so great. It was almost like this unwritten Right. Code that we had, we had no idea what there was, but it was, the camaraderie, yeah, yeah the, exactly. The, the so innovation too, I think, obviously, something that as you touched on with my stroke and the suits, and um, I think always, you know, like if if you know, we came out with some great products, we were selling okay, but you can't just rest on your laurels, so you have to innovate mm -hmm. constantly. Um, I think knowledge as well. I was. Um, I think when I was swimming, I think I had about 12 of probably double thick books like this. Virtually, <laughs> I would log every stroke, every session. Every, oh, wow. Uh -huh. um, so in all the sessions, I, would, I wouldn't even need to write, you know, write it down on pull deck. I would remember pretty much everything that we did. Um, and I would, and I'd, I've got about, yeah, as I said, a dozen of those books. So I think you, you gain knowledge about yourself to then make better decisions with, with training, et cetera. So in business too, I think it's really important to know your business and know your numbers. Um, so then we can make better decisions if we're investing money in certain areas and marketing, right. et cetera. So, um, and then now we can, you know, uh, now I guess in swimming people can get information about other swimmers a lot easier than what we could. But yeah. so I mean the business world we really try and tap into, you know, data about your competition, knowing knowing your competition is really important as well. Um, I'm just not sure what else. Well, I would think <laughs> I would I would think, and I'm probably projecting, but you know the mindset that you have to have to be competitive, you know, at the level that you were in swimming takes a very sort of singular you know, focus and ability to kind of hone in on a goal and like work your way towards that, right? Mm, and so mm. obviously business is a little bit different because you have all these people and personalities and all of mm. that. It's not just you, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. And as a swimmer, you can be kind of a control freak. Like mm. this is what I'm doing and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so there has to be some aspects of that that translate into your like, okay, like to be just to be determined. Like mm. this is what we're moving towards, you mm. know? 
but then also having to let go of certain things that were important in swimming yeah. to let other people in and Absolutely. delegate and yeah, things like yeah, that. You yeah. Know? It's, yeah, it's almost like you, you know, I was being empowered to do what I was, do, what I was able to do in the pool, whereas um, I think in, in business, it's almost me empowering other people. You have to, to be the coach. Yeah, a bit. so a little bit. So that's, um, and look, I, as I said, I've had some great coaches in my career, so I've been able to fall that fall back on that as well. But I think, and then just the other thing, which is, I just remembered, is just the relentless nature of, 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 of running your own business. It's very similar to, to swimming and, and sport where you, you definitely have bad sessions, bad swims, but just mm-hmm. the ability of come back, coming back the day. next day, you know, better how bad it is. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you, you know, you may, you may show up in not the best mood, but you still show up. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so that was, yeah, so probably those are my key learnings. But um, And so now how you, you, are you guys, you're shipping in countries all over the world, right? Like, are you yeah. in the US? Yeah, so we're, no, we're, in the, on, we're only in, um, on Amazon in the US, but mm-hmm. we're, um, we're sort of our focus is sort of Australia and the proximity to Australia. So um, all the Asian countries from China to Korea to Japan and Hong Kong and, and Singapore. So really sort of our products lend, lend itself really well through the, especially the baby range, which is all natural and um, sort of really sort of simple. And um, and it seems to be going really well into, into that region. So, But I think, you know, our culturally we're so similar in the lifestyle between yeah. – so there's in Melbourne, Sydney, et cetera. What, what no, I, I can see it doing well here. here. And, and I yeah. like like it's a, you know, it's it's clean and it's it's like minimal in its design. Like it's just very like simple in kind of a beautiful, elegant way. Yeah, thank you. Know? you. I haven't yeah. tried the products yet, yeah. but just yeah. based on yeah. <laughs> like following you <laughs> and right, stuff yeah. and reading up on it, it's yeah. cool. So so that's cool. So that's your main thing, right? I know you do these retreats too, the yeah. chosen experience. Yeah, it's a chosen experience. It's, it's actually good because it helps me to, you know, I sort of facilitate some of them. I do some of the mm-hmm. the goal setting workshops and some some water skills and swimming, etc. But it also helps me to re- recalibrate every now and again because you know we sort of get. I know what what the tools are for me to be the most effective person, but sometimes <laughs> right. you know in life it you know you get when you get busy or you know there's things that don't always go your way. So um, yeah, so chosen has been a great way to meet amazing people, meet successful people from different walks of life, but then you know do things that are really good for yourself spiritually, mentally, physically as well. So mm-hmm. I enjoy that. I still um, you know enjoy talk, talking to the team, working with the swim team. Um, I worked with them in the lead up to Rio, which was unfortunately wasn't a great games for mm-hmm. us, but uh, um, you know it's great to see these you know the youngsters that are, I wonder if I was that mature when people were looking at me back then, but um, it almost the way they hold themselves and with all these extra distractions, I think that um, they seem more professional <laughs> than what we were back then. Yeah, but. like they come out of the womb now like media trained because everybody is a public personality now. <laughs> yeah, it's you know? unbelievable. And the awareness that young people have around that is interesting, but it's also like, it's so distracting, you know, yeah. it's so easy to, to fall into a you know social media hole yeah. rather than do the hard thing that requires you to turn the phone off. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. No, so look, I think that um, yeah, so I still enjoy working with with those guys, but it is tricky actually because I 
I think I heard you say the other day, I still enjoy, you know, I enjoy being on Instagram every yeah, now. Yeah, I do too. You know? you know, yeah. <laughs> Seeing what other people are doing and, you know, sharing my thing, my stories, especially, you know, with, if it's something cool. <laughs> so, um, but I do, you know, when I have a digital detox, a, a chosen or whatever it might be, I do appreciate the other side as well. Yeah, I was looking at the website for chosen and you get, you get there's a lot of trips man yeah. it's like you don't do you go to all of them no, no like they're happening all the time oh uh, yeah there is there is a bunch yeah. there is a, you know there's a bunch in bali iceland is a very amazing location mm. i just came from guatemala i was there last week and i was there as a guest so that mm. was was nice to take it take a week off to, for myself and to recharge a little bit but um yeah, New Zealand. So those are the four iconic locations. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. They also tend to have uh, volcanoes and, um, you know, I don't know what else, but they always seem to be in a very, very exotic, kind of pretty rugged environment. I'm not, I want to go to Iceland so bad. Yeah. I've never been. We'll have to get you there. <laughs> when you look back on your, your swimming career, you know, what do you, like, what do you think you were able to do that others couldn't? Or like, what can, you know, what do you attribute your success to beyond just sort of train, you know, the training and whatever God-given mm. talent you have? Like, do you, I know you, you mentioned being an innovator, mm. but do you think there are certain things that you were keyed in on that others weren't that allowed you to get that extra advantage mm. to achieve? Yeah, I think definitely my, the innovation in my stroke definitely helped me a lot because I think if I hadn't had find, found that that the stroke that, that really worked well for me, I, I think I'm not sure where I would have been. I think I was, I think that was the key. But I think almost that I had a really, really sort of strong drive for for my sport from a very early age, and I think that um, I think growing up Eastern European sort of background and. But almost like people ask me, where did you have it from? I said, I don't know. I just, I just had it. Yeah. You know, it's something that I, this purpose that I wanted to swim, you know. So I think that was my, definitely an advantage. And, and I think when it, when it did come off, my mindset was really, you know, I was able to, you know, I was pretty strong mentally when I, you know, and most, most of the time. There was obviously a few where I wasn't, but uh, so I think even, you know, my mindset put together with my purpose and, and, and I guess, you know, um, with you know, with the new strike, etc. Right. I think those three things. Did you ever think? I mean, you're you're a Polish citizen, right? You yeah. swam from Poland. Yeah, I probably could have. Yeah, yeah. I know, but I, would, I wouldn't wouldn't feel right, you know, especially yeah. after so much time and money invested by the Australian. <laughs> uh -huh. But what government. about during, in the comeback up to Lo to London, though? You know, yeah, well, oh, the Polish okay, team is doing so well now. There's oh yeah, that's there's, right. Yeah, 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 there's a bunch of guys that are in the hundred free and. <laughs> Hundred flies, so it probably wouldn't have been that easy either. <laughs> uh -huh. When you look at at what Michael Phelps was able to achieve and the impact that he's had on the sport, like yeah. how do you you know conceptualize that? Like what does that mean to you? Oh, look, I was lucky enough to be in Rio and see his twentieth gold, and also you know see all his swims and raced him a bunch of times as well. So you know I've realized how hard it is to come back, and not, not only just to come back, but to come back and dominate. Um, especially and and he's been you know in the, I guess in the dumps a little bit when it came to you know he fell out of you know a lot of mm -hmm. people fell out of love with him and um, and he was able to I just you know I think it, you know could see how how important swimming is to him as a person and you know he he did definitely he had that he had the drive that was probably ten times greater than mine as well but um, I like to see that I like the story because it it did sort of. Uh, 
you know, he did the career did take a downward turn, but he was able to to bounce back, which was was an amazing feat for me. Um, but just his his you know his ability just to be able to you know come back from race after race. It's I did crazy. it once, once and once in the I blue know. moon. The longevity. So is unbelievable. And I think it was, it's only natural that something's gonna break along the way. Like you can't maintain that for yeah, 20 years, exactly. you know? Yeah. And so, you know, shocker, like, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that there are gonna be periods of time where he doesn't wanna go to the pool. Like, yeah. you yeah. know, that has to be the case in order for him to be able to continue and perpetuate. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's super brave how he's kind of come out and, and spoken publicly about the mental health issues. And, and yeah. I, I hope that he does more of that because yeah. I think it's so powerful yeah. and could be transformative for, for other people. Yeah. And yeah. it's amazing how, you know, it could have gone left. You know, he could have, it could have gone sideways yeah. for him, even with all the performances, mm. just how he was acquitting himself in the public eye. And then for him to like pull it together and like yeah. transcend that and to become this, you know, this, this, this person that he is now, I think yeah. it's, it's quite remarkable. It's, yeah, it's great to see him being, I think he's ex expecting his second bub yeah, yeah. soon. Uh -huh. And, you know, he's a, he's a, you know, he's found, he still seems pretty fit. I think, I know he's obviously yeah. swimming still. And There's um, that like, oh, is he, is he gonna do it again? <laughs> oh, well, he look, I, I, I hope not yeah. actually. Like, he left, you know, he left Rio. Just, I don't think, well, I don't think there's any more room on his chest, is there? Like I, I saw those <laughs> yeah. medals. <laughs> no more, he's gonna tip over. <laughs> exactly. But, um, you know, he he was um, him and both Ian. Like, uh, you know, for for me to actually watch them swim, I saw one session actually, which I um, was Grant Hackett, Ian Thorpe, and Michael Phelps training together on, on the Gold Coast once, mm. and it was it was so amazing. They had all the guys that were actually in the pool swimming with them. We actually just got out and watched them because to have the you know probably the four, four you know three of the greatest freestylers and. And or swimmers of all time to have going to head to head, it just became mm. like a show. So it was a, um, it, it was a, it was a great pleasure to to watch him swim and swim in the same era. But um, just you know, um, his mental toughness is probably thing the thing that stands out for me, yeah. especially in the last one with Chad Declos was declaring himself yeah. the champion. And that was, yeah. you don't, well, was you don't like, poke, you don't poke That guy bear. needed media training because that's the last thing that you say to Michael <laughs> exactly. Phelps, unless you want to lose, you exactly, know? It's so like, know. I don't know what came over that guy. If anything, yeah. you always put them, you know, yeah. make them the favorite. Of <laughs> I know. <laughs> deflect. That's the one thing that gets Michael, like, you know, out of bed in the Fired morning, up. you know? Exactly. It's crazy. So, yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, we'll be seeing the impact of, of him for, for decades to come, you yeah. know, like the inspiring young kids and the next generation of, of swimmers coming up. I mean, it's 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 gonna be cool to see kind of what he does next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He seems to like golf. Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I know, I know, I don't know. We'll see what's gonna happen. Um, let's talk about like what fitness looks like for you now. Okay. Like what's your, what's your typical routine? I mean, you're still super fit. I, yeah, I sort of, I do, a, um, I'll probably do two or three kind of structured modified CrossFit-like sessions. Mm -hmm. So pretty intense sort of circuits. Um, and then I probably do two two swims a week. Um, they're, they're pretty pretty cruisy between 2,000 to 3,000 meters and just to, uh, and it's actually, that's my real, my real solo time. I really enjoy yeah. that. 
and then and then that other incidental exercise, you know, surfing and um, playing with the kids and, and that sort of stuff. So um, I probably don't get more than than five structured sort of sessions in the week, but that mm. seems to be, uh, you know, with work and three kids, etc. That's kind of manageable at the moment. Right, and I mean, you've been able to keep it together, dude. You look, you look like you're ready to go right now. If if you got up on the blocks right now, what would you throw down on a hundred free? Uh, I don't know. Do I, think? I think I would probably go close to fifty or well, fifty-two, fifty-three. Probably. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't swim with you today. <laughs> but you could know that's only uh, one off. You know, I'd probably <laughs> blow my shoulder or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny how like all these devices now are on the market where people can wear you know earbuds during swimming and listen to stuff. It's like, yeah. that's the last thing I want to do when yeah. I'm swimming. Yeah, know? and I, I even tried that for a while, but now it's even yeah, just that. Even the sound of the water just rushing past your ears, and all the you know, you can almost hear you know, you can definitely hear breath, you can hear heart. So, mm-hmm. um, for me, like, I appreciate swimming for different reasons now completely. You know, yeah. I swim with my kids, and you know, it's it's, it's a skill that I'm so glad that I've got. Um, so it's <laughs> much safer in the pool than I am on land, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so where do you see this all going? Just continuing <laughs> to grow milk? And yeah. Like for, what's next for you? Yeah, for me, I think, you know, where the business has been going nearly 10 years. So mm-hmm. for us, um, you know, I think it still has some great potential and looking at, you know, different partners along the way to, to try and get it to a global brand. I think we're still, you know, a, a small fish. So um, yeah, you know, putting putting that together, but still, I think for me, you know, spending time with my kids and seeing they're kind of, yeah. I've got the six, nine and the 12 year old. So great uh, I used to travel a lot um, between Melbourne and Bali and sort of for me, it's actually finding a little bit more, you know, being more, more grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty hard to juggle everything. I went through a divorce a couple of years ago mm-hmm. as well. And that sort of took a bit of a toll on me physically and mentally and just trying to be everywhere for everybody. So I think it's been a pretty interesting time just to prioritize health, kids, you know, my partner, Desiree's been It's amazing, hard to balance so, all that yeah. stuff, man. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> it's like, you know, and then com- coming from swimming where it's just like, I can train five hours a day and yeah. then, you know, eat and nap and all of that. And then yeah. they're like, there's business, there's kids, there's, you know, whatever, yeah. like trying to apportion your energy across all of those things and 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 being somebody who is driven who wants to excel in all of those areas like it's it's a hard equation to solve yeah it is and it's sort of um for me as well i've i'm probably i'm not i wasn't great at saying no in in the past mm-hmm. and then probably i don't i think it's uh i'm sure where i heard about I, I i'm not i don't really like letting people down in terms of the right. thing so it's, well when people are asking uh, you to do stuff though it's probably cool stuff too that you want to do uh, yeah, sometimes <laughs> like, you know, sometimes yeah. it's you know like it's you know, and look, I've, I've been very fortunate because people have done me a lot of favors. So I sort of feel like I, I have to repay them. But um, yeah, so it's definitely, I think, you know, I'm at a, at a phase in my life where I can, I'm just, you know, much better prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for saying yes to this. <laughs> no, no, no thanks for you agreeing, <laughs> for yourself to agreeing to see me. <laughs> when you when you look back on your career, are, are there things you wish you had done differently or any regrets that you have? Or do you feel like, you know what? I laid it all out there, man. Yeah, I definitely look, I definitely in terms of my approach and my training, I definitely didn't leave a stone unturned in the pool and in the training pool. Um, I think probably, you know, overcoming some of those 
Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say, you know, like we were talking about, the slightly mental sort of toughness at right, some of those big individual events. But I wouldn't say it's regrets. It's probably being able to work on that a little bit better, identifying that uh-huh. early in my career. But, um, you know, I think I was, I certainly, uh, you know, I certainly did the work. I was, I got so much out of the sport. I was a great, great friends and, um, and it gave me an opportunity to, you know, to, to move forward in, in life as well. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, pretty happy. If you were, if you were going to coach young up and coming Olympian swimmers, what would you focus on? Or where do you think like the white space is? Like, what do you think, like when you see these kids coming up or you see what coaches are doing, do you see like, oh, why, why are they doing that? Why mm. should, they should be doing this. Mm. Or do you look at it differently or? Oh, I don't know. I think the guys are pretty, on the money, pretty revolutionary already at the moment. Obviously, they keep improving. Um, it's a really good good question, which I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think they're, you know, I think what I've, I've liked um, and, and there's a, some of the Aussie guys are still, they're still being kids, you know, a lot of them when I was growing up and I loved the sport and I remember, you know, coming back from one of the swim sessions in Perth and I saw you know, Hacky and Thorpe and the guys on the PlayStation, yes, just being, they were still mm-hmm. 15, 17. And, um, you know, I think probably if anything, it sometimes becomes too serious and, you know, and um, so, yeah, letting I think having, kids. yeah, let them, oh, just, you know, having fun with it. And I think, I, you know, if it gets too serious too quickly, it can, you know, it can burn, burn out. But in terms of training methods, I think they're, you know, on the money, they're certainly better than what I was doing. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I can't tell them what, to, you know, what to do anymore. <laughs> I wonder when, who the next huge star is going to be. I mean, the, the shadow that, that, you know, Phelps leaves is so massive. Mm. Like who, mm. who could ever possibly, you know, eclipse that. But yeah, you yeah. see some guys like LaClo coming yeah. up yeah. that have the potential to make it. Well, I think Caleb like, obviously Dressel is-, is Oh, right. The, That's who I meant to say, yeah. Caleb Dressel, yeah. He's, I mean, he um, just did, was it, it was just like short course worlds or something like that. He's like breaking world records in breaststroke. In breaststroke, know, yeah. Like, so I think, you know, I think we've found him uh-huh. to be honest, like, and he's doing in events like the 100 free, 100 fly medley. He's, you know, so versatile. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how, if he can repeat that in, in, in Tokyo, I think he won five gold in, right. in uh, the, the world champs. So, um, yeah, so he's, he's the next one to watch for sure. Yeah. It's pretty exciting, man. Yeah. So if, if, uh, <clears throat> if a, sw- if a swimmer or any athlete for that matter, young person who's trying to excel in their sport is listening to this and, and, and maybe they don't have the greatest coach. Yeah. They don't have, you know, the Australian Institute of Sport at <laughs> their disposal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they're trying to figure out on their own through mm. podcasts and the internet or whatever, like how to be the best athlete they possibly mm. can. Like what can you convey to that person? Yeah. So, you know, I think obviously I think we all understand that in sport there's only a small percentage of of, of athletes that that win that that ultimate gold or or the championship or the world record, et cetera. I think there's so much more that you get out of the sport that you find learn about yourself as well. Um, so I would encourage. I mean, my kids aren't great in any sport in particular, but they still do it. They still, you know, I think the routine is really important. The structure is important. Um, and I think the ability. I think it prepares you like that that toughness. The being 
you know, being able to bounce back in mm-hmm. in life in general, it's 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 what it's all about. You know, I think it's we, um, you know, there's certainly um, adversity is around the corner, and that's how how we manage through that. And I think uh, for me, sport was a great great av- or vehicle f- to learn my sort of prepare myself for life lessons in the future um so yeah i think you know and, and not just physical physical development so i think uh yeah i would say um definitely have a crack which is a <laughs> bit of an Aussie yeah. saying but um you know just being able to just just perseverance being a persevered day to day you know that's um yeah keep chipping away i think for a young person it's got to be hard in our social media fuel culture because you go on Instagram and and everything looks easy and sexy yeah, and romantic exactly, yeah. and it's like it ain't to to be great at anything is the most unsexy thing ever because yeah. you got to show up every single day and yeah. like slog through the mud and yeah. it sucks yeah. you know and you feel like shit and that doesn't translate well you know <laughs> on Instagram yeah, exactly. you know but that's the truth you know what I mean yeah. like. Yeah. It's fucking hard, yeah. you know, and it's about consistently showing up for whatever you care about. I yeah. think. Yeah, it's finding that, you know, we've. I mean, these words keep coming up, but obviously finding the drive or whatever that purpose is, and um, you know. So, and it's funny because sometimes in my squad, I've had a couple of people, even in my club squad, the people that are most driven and most passionate necessarily weren't the best swimmers in, mm-hmm. in our group. You know, some of the best ones probably had the most talent and things used to fall into mm-hmm. place for them. But the ones that tend to, we used to fight the most were the ones that probably ha- didn't have the most amount of talent. When right. the, so, yeah, I think I it's- take that guy any day <laughs> over the super talented guy who doesn't show up for workout. Yeah, exactly, know? exactly. Because that, you know, prepares you for life after sport. Yeah. Well, were you one of those sprinter guys that like slagged off? Like it was always the sprinters like, oh, he didn't show up for morning workout again. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately not. I think, I, you know, I was actually, when it came to training, I, it was one thing that I really enjoyed. And uh-huh. I um, I was, you know, always pretty, very punctual. Uh, used to get, get more, we used to cheat a little bit when sessions, <laughs> when that coach was, you know, put on some crazy sets and then, you know, yeah. just maybe cut the warm up down a little bit. <laughs> what was the hardest set you ever did? Oh, I don't know if I, it was mainly, mainly just lactic sort of tolerance stuff. So mm-hmm. you can really sort of as simple as doing, you know, three max 100s on, you can do it really simply on 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then just that third falls one out. falls out. Or, but, you know, doing, um, you know, we did six as well, 650s max on, on two minutes as well. So, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's just getting race ready. Um, so, I, you know, I didn't do a great deal of high intensity, um, you know, short rest training because of my events, but um, that lactic tolerance was work was probably the, the toughest. Painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, all right, man, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. Thanks, but, thanks for having me, Rich. <laughs> super awesome to talk to you. Yeah. Matt. Thank you. Very cool. Thanks for having what me. What do you, uh, what else you have going on here in LA? So actually, um, I'm I'm here supporting my, my partner Desiree. She's got a fashion label, <laughs> so yeah. she's got a, a bit of a publicity event tonight. So it's called SWF Boutique. So we'll, I'll be uh, 
I'll be probably the Instagram husband oh, tonight. That's cool. So, but I'm um, yeah, just making my way back home from Guatemala. So I'm en- enjoying this this crisp weather you've got in LA. Yeah. And are you going straight to Bali? <laughs> I go. I'll go to. I'll go to Melbourne first, and then go back to Bali. Uh-huh. So I'll be back in Bali cool. next week. Well, I'll hook you up with my friends in Bali. That'd be I'm great. Sure they'd love to meet you. Beautiful. So thanks awesome, for having man. me. Yeah, appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, if you're digging on Michael, the best way to connect with him, milkandco.com is your skincare line, Milk and you and got co- like nutrition products and stuff like that. Too, we, right? um, we we don't anymore. We used oh, to have some protein uh-huh. products, but um, we, we basically it's got the skin fitness range. So we've got a, um, a chlorine wash, which is great for swimmers, a sunscreen, a bunch of other products for, for active people and, right. and some natural products for babies and some more pampering products for women. So uh-huh. yeah, check is it the, out. Is the, and the men's line is called, is called Klim, Klim, right? Yeah, and then the other. Well, it's right. funny, you know, the blokes out there, they didn't kind of like, <laughs> like, like yourself, <laughs> didn't, didn't get the idea that milk and co was clean back they didn't so. they didn't they couldn't do that math <laughs> no it's funny when i you know when i do a couple of corporate keynotes and they uh and i tell them the story that it you know i've just looked in the mirror and no yeah. i mean obviously i knew yeah. my surname was was milked backwards for many years but um yeah it doesn't always jump out so we did a bit of study on our products and um guys thought it was a little bit too feminine not quite uh-huh. masculine enough well those aussie guys man yeah we just yeah, <laughs> it'll be tough and simple. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I put this on my face. <laughs> you know. Um, cool. And then you're uh, at Michael Clem on Instagram. And, yeah. and Michael Clem one, yeah. Right, Michael so, Clem one. Yeah. Right, cool. So yeah. And, uh, and any other t- chosen experiences coming up? Yeah, so we got got a bunch of chosen experiences with the coming up in in Bali. So if you guys want to check out chosenexperiences.com, um, there's all the dates and 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 locations. But uh, yeah, come and do a I've got a swimming week uh, coming up in July, so that should be uh, uh, should be good. We do a bit of uh, skill work, we do a bit of surfing, a fair bit of a uh, little bit of gym work, but it's uh, it's a pretty fun week. That's awesome, and it's chosenexperiences.com. Yeah, so it is. People to find out yeah, more exactly. about that. All right, That'd man. Well, Thanks, uh, we'll close this Thanks down by saying, uh, uh, <laughs> my man. Dan McPherson says hello. <laughs> bloke. And uh, I told you earlier, like Garrett Weber Gale called me yesterday out of the blue, who also, you know, won a gold medal in the four by 100 free relay yeah, yeah. in a subsequent generation <laughs> um, in an epic, that was an epic race as well. And I, and I was like, oh, I got, I got Klim coming over to the podcast tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, do you know him? Like, what should I talk to him about? And he's like, I don't really know him. He probably doesn't remember me, but he said that he was at, a meet in 2005. I don't know what meet it was. Did he tell me? I can't I remember. Montreal World Championships, um, I think. Some world championships yeah. or world university. I don't know, something like that. And and he said that uh, like he came up to you to meet you because you were like a big hero to him. And you ended up giving him like all your Aussie gear. Oh, uh, really? And he's like, I still have it. He's like, I'll never forget that. It was like oh, super cool. cool. So he was like a big hero. Oh, thanks. So he, thanks. he, he uh, said to say, what's up? Oh, beautiful. It's nice. It's nice when that, you know, when it, when you get that feedback after many years, it's you, cause you never know who that person might, right. you know, turn turn to or what what effect that might have on their on yeah. their career or and then the, he ends up getting the you know winning that relay winning that relay in eight oh wait that was an amazing race actually mm-hmm. jason lezak's anchor leg was just that is probably the greatest <laughs> relay race of all time you know phenomenal second cool. second to us okay <laughs> well we'll leave that open for debate yeah that's right yeah all right man thanks, great mate. talking to you thanks, thanks dude thank Bye. you 
All right, we did it. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Please let Michael know what you thought of the exchange. He is at Michael Klim AUS on Twitter and at Michael Klim one on Instagram. As always, check out the show notes for links and resources related to today's conversation on the episode page at ritual.com. And if you haven't done so already, please pick up a copy of our brand new book, The Plant Power Way Italia. It's coming out on Tuesday, April 24th. It might already be out by the time you hear this. So what are you waiting for? If you enjoyed our first cookbook, The Plant Power Way, I guarantee you, you're going to freak out for this one. 125 delicious plant-based recipes inspired by the region of Tuscany's rich culinary tradition. Super proud of it. Can't wait to share it with you guys. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books. And if you would like to support my work, please subscribe on Apple Podcast. Share this episode or your favorite episode with friends on social media or one-on-one -on -one in person. All of this really helps us out, and it makes it easier for me to book the very best people for future shows. You can also support the show on Patreon at ritual.com forward slash donate. And finally, I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today because I certainly do not do this alone. Jason Camiolo for, this guy does everything, audio engineering, he edits the show, he handles production, show notes, he even writes a lot of the interstitial music and takes my calls late into the night when I'm having a panic attack. Michael Gibson and Blake Curtis for video and graphics and theme music as always by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. Peace, plants, namaste. Yeah.